Good day and thank you for listening to our second podcast in this series about vaccination in the workplace and all issues related to COVID-19. I'm Verli Oosthuizen and I'm a partner in the Employment Law Department and I am with Michael Meso, who is the head of our department and we are discussing how we will be dealing with queries from employers about a mandatory vaccination policy. Hi, I'm Michael Meso. Mark? Please can you tell us about this mandatory vaccination regulation that has come out in terms of the Occupational Health and Safety Act. There were dates that were put in, there were guidelines uh, that were put in about how an employer could do a mandatory vaccination policy. Uh, it is, as always with these um, quick pieces of legislation, very confusing. and. Really, how do you deal deal with it when employers ask you whether they can implement one? Are we too late? Has the horse bolted? Yeah, well, um, it's a bit embarrassing to say that I'm, I don't really know, to be honest, but um, let's just debate it because it seems to have been put in the directive without any reason or, or, or merit. First of all, what we have is that the department has issued a directive um, on the occupational health and safety measures uh, that an employer needs to follow in respect of its employees returning to work. And those are the ones that I think employees are fairly familiar with, dealing with all the, the various safety precautions you need to do, make sure you ventilated, masks, social distancing and all those things. But it went further because it said there that within 21 days of that directive, which was issued, in, uh, I think it was um, issued in June, um, an employer was, in, was entitled to consider and maybe even register, I think, um, a mandatory vaccination policy. That's the first time we saw in print um, a reference to mandatory vaccination policies. But the point is, 21 days from June has long gone, and I'm pretty certain most employers haven't considered the mandatory vaccination issue yet. And the question, I suppose, is, does that mean they are now too late? I just can't see that being... Um, the right answer. It, it, it doesn't seem to me to be any reason why the government should limit the introduction of mandatory vaccination policies because a mandatory vaccination policy in terms of the steps that were set out in the directive are time consuming. You need to consult, you need to do a whole lot of things which we will deal with in more detail later. Um, and that in all probability if done properly uh, would extend beyond the 21 days. So that 21-day period seems to have been thrown in without too much thought attached to it. It seems to have been lost in the general discussion that's occurred thereafter. And um, the jury is out as to whether that's going to be raised as a point in when employers try to implement any policy. I would think, though, that most employers or any employer wishing to introduce a mandatory vaccination policy at this stage, provided it does so in accordance with the directive, it can argue the reason why it is only doing it now, and for that reason, if that 21-day period is mandatory in some form, um, the court would condone um, the late introduction of that policy. Yeah, and I think it's quite an interesting regulation, and I, I haven't uh, I haven't looked at it in a huge amount of detail or kind of um, compared it with any other old case law that could possibly apply, etc. But basically it asked for employers to conduct a risk assessment um, so that they would be able to justify 
putting a mandatory vaccination policy in place. But I also think that we need to consider that when that uh, regulation came out, it was fairly early, well, not very early, but it was fairly early in the vaccination push. It certainly uh, wasn't at a time when younger younger employees were were allowed to be vaccinated. It, it was actually only people who were over the age of 60 and then certain essential workers that were allowed to be vaccinated in June. Uh, people who were kind of 40 and above only started to be vaccinated, I think, or 35 and above, I might be wrong, um, from the beginning of August. So, I mean, this was, was really quite early and before the massive vaccination push came. So, I think that um, it was, you know, different circumstances when it came out. And they also talk about the primacy of collective agreements, funnily enough, in that regulation. And um, for people that don't know about collective agreements, and it's sometimes something that smaller employers don't know about because they don't have, um, you know, trade unions or, or, you know, have to deal with these things. But a collective agreement is essentially an agreement between employers and employees. Often it's negotiated by a trade union. But once it collective agreement is in place and takes primacy over sort of really anything else because you only negotiate a collective agreement that that you would be able to justify that would be lawful um, but it sometimes will take away certain rights um, in terms of the base conditions of employment or the LRA and this specifically states how an agreement or a mandatory vaccination policy would be regarded as a collective agreement so I don't know, maybe that's where the, the wiggle room comes in, um, where you're saying, look, this mandatory vaccination policy is actually going to be regarded as a collective agreement. You can't surely say that uh, that collective agreement between employers and employees could only come in within that 21-day period. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, these collective agreements can be agreed at any stage. Um, and so maybe that, that would be kind of a lever to say, um, you know, let's, let's have this collective agreement. And um, in terms of this collective agreement, we're going to be setting out our vaccination policy. I'm not sure. That's just, that's just the way I thought of it. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't really know. We have to wait and see. Um, you know, and, and you raise a good point of the collective agreement, uh, collective um, agreement, because notionally the introduction of this type of policy, although it's a policy, but you're setting a term and condition of employment now that says you must be vaccinated before you can work. That is a change to the current terms and conditions of employment, and that is usually a bit of a problem in, in employment law, and we have to get around that. You'd get around it with the collective agreement, because that, by its very nature and definition, changes terms and conditions of employment. But without that, one is stuck with the options, which are either you have to reach agreement with individuals to, to, uh, to be vaccinated and to accept that change in terms and conditions of employment, or you would have to argue that it's an inherent requirement to the job, an operational reason, and those that refuse would then possibly be retrenched. And, and depending on personal circumstances, you would argue as an employer that the option of being vaccinated is a reasonable option and therefore any retrenchment that flows from that process would be without severance. But that's, that's a whole different debate. The other point, of course, is to argue as to whether it is such an obvious thing to introduce in current times because no employment contract is really cast in stone in forever and a day. I mean, if you think about just legal secretaries um, in the distant Past when I started, when Moses was in an ark, <laughs> um, secretaries used to use a thing called a typewriter, 
um, <laughs> and and they had to progress to an automatic typewriter, which was a golf ball-driven typewriter that was incredibly quick, they thought. And then from that, you then process to a word processor, and ultimately we have we have laptops and computers on secretary screens. Now, some secretaries have progressed through all of that. Um, would it have been a change to their terms and conditions of employment to say, right, you now have to operate this new machine? Fax machines. Um, they used to use the old telex machine. Now they have to use a fax machine. They don't uh, even use fax machines, Mark. Yeah, and now That's there's email. Really old. <laughs> so, so all this all this dynamic has changed, and, and one would argue possibly that this COVID pandemic that's hit us is one that requires this change to take place, and therefore it, it is it isn't a, a strict change to terms and conditions of employment which requires agreement. But it is something to think about, and uh, we're not sure how the unions are going to deal with this. And also, instead of um, doing the inherent requirements of the job, I think that they are hinting somewhat towards uh, an incapacity um, kind of approach, which which is difficult for employers in terms of it, it takes time um, with an incapacity, just for background, with an incapacity process. That means that when people are not able to do their job because of ill health, uh, the employer can't just say, oh, well, Sham, so sorry for you, bye-bye. They have to go through the process of trying to reasonably accommodate those people, counsel them, get occupational therapists in sometimes in certain cases, and I'm not saying in this case, but in certain cases, and, you know, they say in these kind of policies or, or in the kind of background literature that um, people must be counseled about vaccination, people must, um, you know, give very specific reasons why they don't want to be vaccinated, and then you kind of follow that incapacity inquiry of reasonably accommodating, seeing if you can put them in a little office, seeing if they really do have to come into the office. And when Mike and I have discussed it in the past, there is that kind of quite nebulous idea of people coming into the office just for collegiality's sake. Uh, and just so you can see someone's face, you can have a laugh in the in the hallway, say something inappropriate. <laughs> no, not always. No, but um, have a discussion, have a lunch, maybe have a coffee. Um, and when people are not in the office, that collegiality disappears yeah. because you're sitting behind a computer and you just don't have that kind of an interaction. Now, is that going to be regarded as an inherent requirement of the job? Yeah. You tell me. Yeah, well, that's the million-dollar question, um, I think. And, you know, when, when COVID first started and, and people started working remotely, certainly in South Africa it was quite novel and people suddenly realised the ability to be able to work remotely. But, of course, if you, if you were over, overseas, London, for example, I, mean, I worked in London in the early 2000s, and it was already a common thread there in, in the large law firms, for instance, where professionals would work remotely. Um, not consistently and or, or indefinitely, but there would be two days, three days a week where they would work remotely, and it was an accepted thing. So, this novelty in in to South Africans um, and the sudden awareness of this ability is 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 something I think has worn off a bit now because suddenly you you do miss your your colleagues. We all admit there are some who are quite happy to to. <laughs> To keep them working remotely and to and to possibly never see them again, but but there are those that that we that we really look forward to seeing and to and to have the banter that that you mention. Um, you are one. 
Oh my goodness, <laughs> touching. <laughs> no, I, and I think also in terms of certain, um, you know, all of us probably could work remotely in a law firm, but it really is much better in certain departments, certainly in our department, which is the litigation department, to be inside the office, simply because we have access to, to papers, to books, to messengers, to, you know, all of these kind of uh, little uh, conveniences that that are required for for very um, effective litigation and being able to walk into each other's offices and say to each other what do you think of this what do you think of that it might be very different if you are drafting commercial contracts um, and this this will will go over to any business um, I think it would be difficult in a creative business where people are talking to one another, say, in advertising and trying to get ideas and bouncing ideas off each other. It's hard yeah. um, when you are not seeing each other's faces and you are not um, interacting with one another. And so, obviously, it will depend very much on your particular business. Uh, but I do think that it is something that, um, you know, has to be considered. I know with the schools that I deal with, a lot of the teachers were not keen to come back to school. Um, they liked that online learning uh, paradigm that was great for them. They could um, teach from teach from home. They were very happy for the, for the kids to be learning online. Obviously, all parents who are not teachers were very keen to get their kids back to school. And we had the debate with teachers where we had to say to them, yes, you, you could teach online. But we are not an online school. Mm. We are a contact school. Um, we are a school where people want to do sport um, and all of those issues. So it will. we, we look at every single case um, and we look at every single business. And I think that that is what is going to be important with any employers is that you may need to come into us and say, look, this is our business. What do you think? Um, are we going to be able to get away with saying uh, that people need to be vaccinated? What are the steps that we need to take? Uh, what are the boxes that we have to tick in order to get these vaccination policies in place?